Thank you for participating in another episode of Dubai's Daughter. Our guest speaker today is A.W. Burgess. And Mr. Burgess, would you please introduce yourself? Yes, uh, I'm A.W. Burgess. I am the uh, founder and national executive director for Family Mankind, as well as I am the uh, president and CEO of the A.W. Burgess Company. Okay. Um, can you break that down a little bit and tell us what Family Mankind is and your other organization? Yeah. Uh, the Family Mankind is a, a 501c3 nonprofit, and uh, we literally are a human services organization. And what that means is we are, are, are in the business of violence. And what I mean by that, we are trauma informed care experts where our specialty lies within domestic violence um, and the remnants of domestic violence, such as child abuse, sexual assault, um, bullying. And what we do is our solution to domestic violence is by working uh, passionately with what we call the four categories. Um, the first category are the victims, which are the survivors of domestic violence. Um, the second is the victimizers. These are the actual abusers, the batterers. Uh, we refer to them as trauma harmers. Uh, the third is the voyeurs. These are the individuals who have witnessed um, you know, these events and either didn't know what to do, uh, how to respond to it. And uh, so we're out to inform them. And then the last category uh, is, are the villagers. And that's the volunteers. Those are the folks out in corporate America, government agencies. These are our resources. And it's with these four, uh, these that we call, we solve the, the problem of domestic violence. Yes, that's everybody. Yes, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, mm -hmm. thank you for um, for your hard work in, in tackling this issue that is not just in our community; it's everywhere. Yeah, it's everywhere. Now, let me ask you, uh, and this is not on the list, but since COVID has has it uh, has it gotten worse? Yes. Uh, in fact, um, you know, we always tell folks that uh, what COVID did was it actually made it worse for victims and survivors because now you didn't have the outlets of school, you didn't have the outlets of work. And so many of our uh, victims and survivors have been home with their uh, traumatizers. They're with home with the victimizers. And so um, it's kind of like being locked in a cage with a, with a, with a wild animal. Um, you know, you kind of just go in your corner and pray that you don't get attacked. Yeah. Yeah, but COVID has definitely driven up uh, domestic violence. In fact, the statistics are that, you know, before COVID, nearly three women died every day in America. With COVID, it's almost four women died a day. Wow. Uh, yeah, and, and with child abuse, five children die on average per day. And uh, you got to figure that, you know, with, with, with our children, um, you know, things, obviously being at home with um, some, a, a bad parent, but also the, the bullying aspect, cyberbullying. They haven't been in school. So now, believe it or not, the, the social media platforms have been the cause of a lot of children um, dying as a result of bullying, depression, and so forth. So wow. yeah, it has driven up uh, homicide. 
That's sad. That is very sad. But we thank you for the work that you are doing. You. You know, we know that you can't handle every uh, situation in every city, in every state, but but you're doing what you can. And we thank you very much for that. Thank you. So let's get to the icebreaker. Let's let's try to get let's try to get some humor in here because yes, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so can you tell me about your first business etiquette experience and the result? Oh well, certainly. Um, literally, uh, I was um, applying for a job at uh, IBM, and uh, and I believe it was IBM. May have been Ernst and Young, but uh, it was a very very um, high-profile uh, internship um, that that offered some incredible uh, opportunities uh, from an upward mobility standpoint. Uh, economically, uh, it was, it, uh, I think at the time, it was probably paying like $25 or $30 an hour, which today would be like $50 to $100 an hour to a kid, uh, which was phenomenal. And um, with the opportunity that upon graduation of college, you would actually work there. And so it was a phenomenal opportunity. And um, I never forget it. Um, it got down to me and a great friend of mine, and um, and and I remember thinking, I know I'm gonna get this job. I know I I believe I landed all the questions and answered them appropriately. You know, I was dressed appropriately. Um, you know, suit and tie and just clean. And um, I thought I had articulated myself extremely well. And so I called the interviewer it's one of the interviewers and i said hey have y'all made a decision regarding the you know the college intern position and they said not quite yet but we'll let you know soon and soon thereafter they contacted me and said that that um although my qualifications were stupendous and stood out um someone else got the job and i said well who could it have been because you know most of the people who interviewed were my friends and wanted to know who possibly got it. And they let me know that my great friend, Frances, a uh, sweet, sweet young lady, she had received it. And so I asked them, I said, so that I wouldn't make any um, of the same mistakes in my next potential interview. And, and what was the reason why Frances got the job and I did it? And they said, we were neck and neck. But the one reason that stood out for all of the candidates, not just me, was that Francis had, was the only one who left a follow-up thank you note to all the people who had interviewed us. And she, not only did she leave them an interview, you know, leave them a letter, she actually had done her homework and got the, um, literally got the uh, names of the individuals who were, you know, interviewing her. And she literally left the thank you letters right after the initial interview. Her way out, she probably said, hey, you know, to the receptionist or secretary, can you please make sure that these individuals get my thank you letter? And that was the reason why she got the job over me and over the remaining, you know, applicants. And because uh, we were all equally qualified, but um, that professional courtesy, as you mentioned, etiquette, was the single most reason um, that made her stand out. And to be honest with you, I used it for my next interview and guess what? I got the job. And yes. You know, and so I, I always share with folks that it's the little details, it's the little things that will separate you from your competition. And she, uh, quite frankly, that little detail that she uh, embodied got her the job and rightfully so. 
That rightfully so. I like that story. I wanted you to share that story so, so bad. Mm. Um, and then I'm so glad that you took her advice for the very next position you were going for mm. and you got it. Yes, those are the details. You really have to listen to the people who have gone before you, um, who have had victories and are willing to share those with you, but also who have had um, issues like me um, where they didn't get the job and thank God that they shared that with me as well. So the successes and the failures are good to learn from. You know, turn your business into an ATM. You have to start with your folks. You have to start with the people that you have hired and bring out their very best attributes um, and help them with their deficiencies so that they can grow to be better performers, better performers, but better performers. And uh, and so we we take people, meet them where they are, and we grow from there. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I love that. Sounds very, very good and much needed. Mm -hmm. it sure is. In high school, did you know what you wanted to do with your life? I did. Um, you know, I was blessed to um, have attended a very lucrative budding uh, school that literally developed some of the best folks for us uh, college. Uh, it was a college preparatory school um, and it's it's called McDonough and uh, it's actually in um, the suburbs of Baltimore where I'm from. I lived there. It, it was a school that um, embraced um, the liberal arts side of, of education and this was a school that by middle school, these these children were already on college calculus. They were already reading all the classic novels by you know third, fourth, and fifth grade. And um, you know these these this was the type of school that was putting out folks who scored perfect SATs or high you know high high um, ended uh, as far as the actual range of the SATs. And so going there, it made me focus on what I really wanted to be. And at that time, I went there candidly. Um, to be a, a uh, professional athlete. I was one of those folks that um, was great at, you know, a couple sports and thought that, okay, but what the school always reminded me was that you had to have um, a alternative to that because it's not, it wouldn't last forever. And so when I got to college, uh, I went, went to college on a full um, athletic scholarship. Uh, I wanted to be a... Um, literally a corporate attorney. So I wanted to get a, have a JD, um, which is the law MBA uh, program, uh, which was the, obviously the business side. I wanted to be a corporate attorney. Yes, I, I knew from day one that I wanted to um, be impactful in corporate America, but also, you know, as a backup to, you know, not going to the pros. Um, if I didn't make it to the pros, I wanted to make sure I had that solid background and, and that was cool. That is also fascinating. I mean, third grade level when they're reading these books and I can't imagine what the math was like. That's, that's like the worst subject for me is math. Well, they would have got you the help, trust me. They would have gotten you the help that you needed by form of uh, tutors, um, support. Uh, you would have succeeded. You knew to have something to fall back on versus mm -hmm. the sport. So the Juris Doctorate, right? Yes, doctor. Yep, that was a lot. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, do you you did get that? Uh, actually, no. My my story is a little bit different. Uh, actually, I documented my story in a book. I wrote a book called "The Family Man," and um, and you know it kind of ties in why I do what I do. 
Uh, in my senior year of college, when I was headed to law school um, and literally had the year of a Fortune 500 CEO, um, and you know, life couldn't have been better from a professional standpoint. Uh, like I said, headed to law school, this uh, Fortune 500 CEO uh, was paying for law school, and and um, upon now I returned to college, the, the, he literally stated to me, he said, "A.W., all I want you to do is have fun and graduate. And if you're able to do that, you're going to live a phenomenal life." He said, "I'm going to pay for law school. I'm going to pay you $125,000 a year per year um, to be our, you know, attorney and training while you're in school. I don't want you to learn about money." He said, "So." Uh, I just want you to know that you and my kids one day will run this company, you know, with, a, with such a, uh, a promising opportunity ahead of me. Um, little did I know 45 days later after him making that statement that I would be in jail because of domestic violence. And so, uh, unfortunately, because of that particular act of mine, uh, going to prison, um, erased all the opportunities to become a lawyer. And so that's why today it is critical for me to make sure that, um, you know, of course, our youth, our young adults, um, but just everybody that, that, that crosses my path, that I ensure that their mental health, their wellness is um, at a superior level, a healthy level, so that they don't make those horrific decisions that I made that ultimately caused me uh, cause my dreams to be deferred. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why you do what you do. Right that's why, what I do. Um, it's truly um, passion and purpose over profit. Um, I, you know, you can look at that, you know, the um, the business side of what I've done and, and you'll say, my God, well, prison didn't impact him financially. He's made more money than, you know, 99% of all Americans in his lifetime. Um, but you can be the Michael Jordan or you can be the Michael Jordan of your job and, you know, make all the money in the world. But if you treat people like crap, if you treat yourself like crap, if you have no spirituality about yourself, if you're not a good human being, what good does it mean for you to have all the material things? And that's what, you know, I want folks to know that your happiness is um, priceless. You can't put a value on being happy. You can't put a value on treating people with respect and more importantly, treating yourself with respect and being. I agree with you. I commend you for telling your story. Thank I really you. do. I think you're a very educated man. Thank I think you're very well-spoken. I, I knew that I wanted you on the podcast. You were going to be a guest on the podcast, but just, you know, personally talking to you. Um, I knew. Well, thank you. Thank you and your your, uh, your inner being for recognizing that. I appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. It, but it goes to show, you know, all the education you have. Um, it's not just your situation, but the situations, but all the education you have, people you have, knowing um, how smart you are and you're going places. One mistake can, can just take it away. Right. So you're a bouncer, though. You 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 recognize your mis your your error. How about yeah. that? Yeah. Um, I'm accountable. I'm accountable to it. I definitely own it. Yes, for sure. 
but now you're an advocate. Definitively an advocate. Um, I, I've got to speak for those who can't speak for themselves or who don't know how to speak for themselves. You know, as a as a former domestic violence offender, you know, I thought I was, you know, street educated. I thought I was, you know, classroom educated that I could figure, you know, the it out, you know, um, the it being the violent side of it, the it being that, honey, I'll never do it again. I'll never violate you again. Domestic violence is a trauma of many forms. It comes in a form, obviously, I think most people think of the physical side, but also the emotional, psychological, uh, financial, even the spiritual side of things. Um, you traumatize people in so many different ways. And, um, and that to me is as a human being to do that to another human being is not your right. You have no right or authority to control or manipulate God's property. God. And so that's why, you know, we, we literally teach individuals how to um, control themselves, how to permanently eradicate these this spiritual warfare that's battling inside your mind and inside your, your spirit so that you don't harm others which ultimately harms you. Yeah, that was very, very well said. Thank you. And I totally agree. Because did you do any internships in high school? I in fact I um my first jobs um you know because our school and my sports um commitment was so great that um, the internships I did were related to sports um, and tied to the school. And I know now why it was focused on that. Um, they, they had internships for other students. And like I said, it was a very thorough program where if you wanted to be a cadaver and um, they were amazed that I wasn't, you know, impacted by seeing a dead body or blood, if you will. And, I thought it was very intriguing um, to, to learn that, you know, in ninth grade, 10th grade, to actually, you know, feel and see an actual dead body. Um, and the same for uh, the next summer where, you know, that's when I started to realize, hey, maybe I want to be a lawyer. They actually had me work with, you know, judges. And um, to know the things that judges do and how they move and how they process things, you know, behind the scenes in the chambers or the golf course with friends, with other attorneys. Those were the things that kind of shaped me into why I wish to be an attorney. Cause like, wow, man, that's pretty intriguing, man. They cut this deal, not out in the courtroom. This deal was cut here, or this deal was cut on the golf course or in the tennis room, locker room, you know? So um, it, it really showed you how life really operated at an early age. And I really appreciated that. And to get that in high school now, it made, made sense why many of my classmates you know, these were the children, the offspring of individuals who own the companies that are out here in America today. So it, it, it gives you the sense of, man, you see why these folks are ahead of the game because they're exposed to it so early. So yeah. I always tell yeah. folks, if you want to know the secret sauce, expose your kids to something early. You're, you're talking cadavers in the ninth grade where we were doing frogs. Yeah, yeah, we, man, they, man, please. That frogs was like maybe a week in, in, in that class there. That that was something that they probably did in second or third grade. You know, so yeah. That's awesome. That is that is early exposure. And that's yeah. why you're so far ahead. And and I believe you about the um, you know, the the owners of the companies now. Mm -hmm. I mean, they yeah. had early exposure. And I mean, and then and then to go back to them 
cutting the deals on the golf course. You knew that was going, you know, the old boys club. That's how they did it back then. I think they're still doing it now. They really are. And, and I, like I said, I think it's the difference between being proactive and reactive. Whereas most of us, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out in high school, well, what do I really want to be? Or even in college, you know, these folks are figuring it out early and, and they're finding out what they like do, to do early. And then just like any great parent, they support that initiative and they give them all of the tools that they need to, to not just succeed, but to excel exceptionally in that particular environment, in that particular field. And that's what makes people uh, take you seriously when you know you have the knowledge um, and can speak, regardless of age, can speak from an expert advice on a particular subject. Wow. You know, you say you say the mouthful right there. <laughs> so, how do you think company culture impacts business etiquette? Um, it's the difference between a um, to keep it in layman's terms. This is the difference between a Chick Fil A and a Church's Chicken. Um, both provide food that you know people can eat. But it's the experience that you get when you go to each business. Um, you know, Chick-fil-A stands out in that one that folks have gone day for religious purposes, right? right. Uh, they also, if you are ever, you know, when, when you go to order, they would say, welcome to Chick-fil-A, my name is, and it'd be a pleasure to serve. And they mean it, right? And versus, you know, churches, it's, I'll take your order. You know, um, or they may even say, hey, it's a great day here, but but they're welcome. The way they invite you into their business, uh, the way that they're dressed, the way that the cleanliness of the facility. You know, I think all of those little details are what determines where you wish to spend your dollars uh, and what makes you um, stand out amongst those in that particular field. Um, even though you're, you know, everybody's selling chicken in their world, but what type of experience do you get when you uh, you know, approach the business? And I think that is how people will remember you and remember your um, your business etiquette. Yes. So your level of education, tell us your level of education. I have literally six classes from having a, a bachelor's degree. Um, like I was telling you, I went to prison in my senior year of college. And what happened was when I got out, you know, naturally, you know, when you are released from prison, you know, it's about the safety of the, of the citizens. And um, my parole officer, the first thing was you got to have a job. So, um, you know, I literally got back into the car business, which is, you know, um, got into the car business because a um, great uh, friend, his dad owned the dealership. And I knew his dad and what that allowed me to do was to have a job but also allowed me to go to school. And I, I literally enrolled in Old Dominion University. They were the only school that would even take me at the time. Because uh, when I tried to go back to my previous school, naturally because of what I had done, um, they were like, no way, you know. Um, and this is something that as a, as a convicted felon, these are the things that you've got to own when you, you know, do a crime, you know, not everybody's going to welcome you back with open arms. And so you've got to be able to be transparent, tell your story, and go with the folks who are willing to help you, right? And ultimately, um, there was a, a dean of students and she 
um, sat down with me. She um, heard the story. Um, I, I did not lie to her about anything. I was very transparent with her about everything. And she already knew what had happened anyway, just, but just wanted to see the way I had responded to the question. And she said, we're going to go ahead and admit you. And I remember sitting there thinking, oh my God, you know? And so I got back into college, um, finished some classes. And then what happened was I was because of the um, success that I was having in the car business, um, the, the owner said to me, hey, do you, I want to promote you. You know, it's a lot more hours to work, but it's a lot more pay. And, um, and I'll never forget, I think the offer at that time, he told me I would make, you know, $150,000 per year. You know, I'm 20, you know, two at the time, you know, it's kind of like, what? You know, he's like taking a leap. And I'm just sitting there like, oh my God, you know, <laughs> 22 year old man child, if you will. Um, because had I probably had a proper mentor to go to, my mentor probably told me, A.W., don't leave college, finish college. You can always take that, get that job opportunity another time. But to a 22-year-old street kid from Baltimore, and this is somebody, you know, that, that I respected. This was one of the first uh, minority millionaires I'd ever met in my life. And he's like, here's the job. It's in writing. And he had never did me wrong by anything. Man, it was like, yo, you know. I'm in a quandary, you know, and he's like, well, let me know tomorrow, because not, you know, there's going to be a bunch of other people who jump at this opportunity. So I jumped, I took it, and uh, made a ton and ton and ton of money for many, many, many years thereafter. You know, I do have, you know, obviously you can look back and think to yourself, you know, should I have graduated? I should have, but, you know, life jumped over me, got married, kids, and, you know, and then you're chasing dollars thereafter. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll tell you this, it would be a pleasure of mine to go back one day, you know, um, when the timing is right, to finish those few classes, to just get that bachelor's of science, to, to basically say, hey, I, I completed, I finished. Yeah. If that's what you want to do, you can always complete it because I just completed it two years ago. Amen. Well, see, you're the inspiration that, you know, for like me, you know, I, I, I battle one word, and that's time. I battle time. I battle time commitments. Um, you know, when you're serving on boards or you've got boards that you have to answer to, when you're um, responsible for the livelihoods of so many people, yeah. uh, you know, I, I don't offer any excuses. I tell people, when you put your mind to something, you can do whatever you pretty much want to do, right? That's right. One class at a time. And that, and, and see, that's what it was. I think that's the best advice. I think for me, I saw it as, you know, in this normalcy of college in my mind, it was, okay, you got one or two semesters to go get it done, you know, and, and I just said, well, I don't have that time. And, and so now I'm at a point where, you know, as my, my kids are getting ready to graduate from college, I no longer will have that as an excuse okay. that I will be able to you know i always tell people before i get out of here in my life i will have that um because i think it's critical to tell your you know um, your grandchildren's grandchildren that i set out to complete the things that i wanted and i did it and uh, and you can too um, and that's why i wrote the book i wrote the book just because of that type of scenario that i wanted my grandchildren 
grandchildren to know that this guy named A.W. Burgess was the one who drew the line in the sand with the family and said, we will no longer have anybody in our family um, with the violence gene in our body and our DNA, and we will never be perpetuators of domestic violence. We will not be victims of domestic violence. And so that is um, something that I, I will always take serious about legacy and completion. So, yeah. I'm just so proud of you, um, of everything that you've done. I am so, so grateful that you are doing this. You're, you're an advocate for it. You speak very highly of, of what you're doing. We needed you. We needed to hear these things. We needed to hear about your life. And I definitely want the name of the book to be said again, and I will put it out there, um, A.W., so that, you know, people can purchase and read the book, read about your life, because, I mean, it's, first of all, it's a phenomenal thing to be an author. And then you're writing about your life and your legacy that you want to leave. So, yes, very fortunate to have you as a guest on Dubai's Daughter. Thank you. So, so the last uh, question we have for you is, what do you think about Dubai's Daughter as an organization? Do you have any questions, comments, concerns, advice for us? My, um, my opinion of uh, Dubai's Daughter is very simple. Um, phenomenal organization um, that truly cares about the welfare uh, and destinations of um, young ladies. Um, as a father of four daughters, um, my daughters would be involved with Dubai's daughter. You know, at the age that you're, I wish there had been a Dubai's daughter for them because I think for the way where our children are, you know, social media and the pressures that come with, um, you know, those types of platforms, the pressures that come with being liked and being accepted and um, looking a certain way and um, conforming to what is beautiful and so forth. Uh, I think Dubai's daughter embraces young ladies um, where they are and it only enhances their future. Uh, giving them those details that I spoke of, um, giving them the right focuses where you know, what, what are the intentions of young men? But what are the consequences of um, your actions? You know, um, just like I had mentioned about those decisions that cost me um, my, uh, my, my, my freedoms, my, my, uh, my future, if you will. Um, I think the Baj daughter is that, um, that, that gives you those inroads, gives you the, the insight into let's, talk about this that's you know like you mentioned about your daughter um your discipline was talking you know i wish that i had had that as a coping mechanism as a coping skill as a life skill technique um that this is how you resolve issues this is how you talk through problems this is how you resolve issues you know whether it's one-on-one -on -one with a parent or whether it's you know collaborating with your peers yeah. um having the having those quality conversations so that you don't make um, 
you know, I tell people it's one thing to stub your toe, but it's another thing to chop your leg off. You know, don't don't chop your leg off like AW, who had such a promising future. And then because you didn't think about the consequences, or because you didn't listen to folks when they said, hey, you need to really address your mental health. Um, those are consequences that will come back to you. So I think my penis of Dubai's daughter is, it would be very um, wise of young ladies and parents um, to be um, involved with the Dubai's daughter because remember I mentioned the villager aspect uh, early in, in this conversation. I think it's a great um, village that Dubai Dubai's daughter uh, offers and offers another perspective, giving our children the um, details, the, um, the quality details that will enhance their lives so that they can make some really well-informed decisions that could be life-changing decisions. And uh, that, that business etiquette leads you directly into your personal life. And that's why I said, thank God for Dubai's daughter. Thank you. Those are those are very kind words, and I want you to know my opinion of you. What you've done, what you did, you paid for. Okay, you grew from it, you learned from it, and look at where you are now. It's an absolute pleasure to have you take a moment, just a moment, to speak with us. Tell your story. Help us to help someone else. And that's why we are spotlighting you as our guest speaker on Dubai's Daughter today, because you've got such a wonderful story and you're doing great things. We, we, we really, really thank you. Well, I thank y'all for having me. And uh, anytime God affords me the opportunity to um, serve with others like you, um, I'm thankful. I'm grateful. I don't take, um, take that lightly. Um, like I said, I wish that um, I had known that there were organizations out there that, um, like yours, that um, would develop, you know, help develop me um, more than just, you know, um, education. You know, etiquette is very important. Um, social etiquette, personal etiquette, business etiquette, um, anything that can help someone um, better articulate themselves in front of others. Um, strengthen their character, you know, um, I think character is a lot, you know, when it comes down to your values. Um, had I known, you know, what I know today, there was no way I would have absolutely harmed anyone. You know, my girlfriend was one thing, my, my family was one thing, my friends were another thing. But the fact that I was harming myself first, um, yeah. Well, it's very difficult to, to love others if you don't love yourself first. And, uh, and I think that organizations like Dubai gives folks that kind of love, self-love. That when you love yourself enough to learn these types of things that are going to set you apart from just, you know, the average person, um, making you an exceptional individual, you know, um, mm -hmm. It, you know, like I said, it's one thing to be that exceptional business person, but to be an exceptional human being, just to me, I'd rather have that person 
so we can train and coach and you know one who's moldable malleable if you will than to have the very best expert but have to have a worse attitude i'm not working with trauma i'm not working with look at me look at me it's all about me i'm 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 working with folks that that care enough about themselves but they can support themselves you know they they, they can be their own encourager and then have enough strong friends around them that they realize the power of collaboration yes yes wise wise words <laughs> mr aw burgess um we thank you again um aw and we thank you guys for listening we will speak with you next time amen y'all for having me